evening, everybody. So glad to be here with you. Uh, it always feels like coming home. And uh, I'm always so honored to, to be a part of the, the missions conference here. Matt, you said 62 years, is that right? 62 years. Um, that's worth celebrating, isn't it? A church that's kept the Great Commission at the forefront of who they are. Can we thank God for Christ the King Church? Formerly known as all the other names I can't remember or recite over all the other years. But uh, I thank God for a church that understands the purpose of the church. It's kind of a big deal. And, um, and I, I'm just really honored to be a part. And, and really, it humbles me deeply to be here with you. Many of you that look around the room, um, you are my heroes. And I am grateful to have the opportunity to share God's word with you. I do send greeting from our family. Um, my precious wife is, is here, uh, Cheryl, and um, <clears throat> she's my she's she's my uh, my partner in life, my one and only wife. Thank God, and uh, she's been faithful through a lot over the years. But I tell you, this is a, a it was emotional kind of a week for us. We we took our daughter to Dallas Baptist University. Don't hold the Baptist against me, but Dallas Baptist University. And uh, dropped her off, said goodbye to her, hugged her, cried, and I stayed strong until I drove away. And then, uh, then I wept like a little baby. It was so, it was terrible. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And uh, our son is in Phoenix. Um, he's at Grand Canyon University studying theology, and we're grateful for, uh, for that. But we all, they, they send their greetings because they were, they were baptized just right up the hill, both of them. So this, this... This ministry is a part of who I am, and it's a part of what God has, has placed in me, has been imparted to me from this ministry. And before I continue, I also want to give a shout out to my, to my big brother, Brian King, and his wife, Sulema, who are right back there. Uh, love you guys so much, yes. <clears throat> but this, this ministry means a lot. And what I so appreciate about Pastor Matt is that he, um, in, in, a, in a day and age where clarity is hard to find, Moral clarity is hard to find. Biblical clarity is hard to find. Pastor Matt is a pastor who, who walks the line of the Bible, and I'm grateful for that. And every one of these mission conferences that I've been a part of has been, the focus is, is, is reorienting or orienting yourself back to the purpose of ministry, the purpose of the church, the purpose of believers in the world today. And so the, the theme of this, of this conference is, Reformation and revival. But how many know this, that, that before revival comes to the earth, before God pours his spirit out, before God transforms men to lead families and families to raise kids who are serving Christ and transforming the world in a multi-layered approach from God's purposes and kingdom, how many know this, that the, the, the repentance and revival first starts in the house of God before it can touch the world? Now, it's really great to talk about revival. It's, it's a challenge to talk about reformation. Because what reformation means, if there is a need for reformation, it means that the original intent and purpose, we've drifted from it. And we're no longer seeing what we thought we'd see. But what's happening, we're complaining about a world that has, is producing fruit because, and we blame the world, but it's just because we didn't understand our purpose in the world. 
Now that was, you should have said amen there. Amen. But that's okay. It doesn't count now. It's too, too late. <laughs> but God has called the church in a particular hour to be a light in the midst of darkness. Throughout church history, you've always had these, these waves. And these waves are, is that God does something great on the earth. It seems to plateau. Christians get comfortable. They're like, hey, this is, it's all good. It's a Christian nation. And then things begin to decline. The world becomes the, the, becomes the louder voice. The church becomes a quieter voice. And then as, the, as everything becomes more depraved, what happens is at that moment, all the churches that compromised, they're sifted. What remains at the bottom of the curve is what the Bible calls is a remnant. And in the remnant, the remnant begins to shine. And then those who have been deceived by a broken, um, deceived, demonic culture that has seduced them into a, a world that's breaking their lives apart, they lift their eyes from the broken world of, of, of their life, from the broken ships on the, on the waves of life, and they look to a remnant, and that remnant is the church of Jesus Christ. And in the moments of darkness, there's a church that shines brighter than anything in the world world and we are I believe God has gifted us with the opportunity to be at the bottom of the curve so we can now be the remnant that we can see God do something great in our world amen that's that that's what I believe and so I'm going to share with you tonight something from Revelation chapter 2 and you can turn there right now and so in the beginning of Revelation the book of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches. And God, through his son Jesus, is speaking to the seven churches through the apostle John in a letter. And we have these in the book of Revelation. And Jesus is calling these churches, literal churches, calling these churches, to do what I just spoke about and to be reformed. In other words, return to your original purpose. And in almost every one of these letters, Jesus gives a compliment, he gives a critique, and he gives a challenge. And so this is how Jesus calls them to return. This is how Jesus speaks and and brings clarity to what's going on in their world and in their church and in their leadership. And we are in a place in our nation that the church, at least what I know in the Western world and European world, needs to return to what Jesus called them to do in the first place. To return to the, to, the, to the middle where he is what the church is all about. I, seven years ago, took over a church. <laughs> I had a friend of mine said, stop saying take over. It wasn't a hostile takeover. So I'll say this way. I, seven years ago, I was asked to lead a church. And as I... As Cheryl and I got under the hood, as we were praying about some things, there were things under the hood that were shocking to us. There was an incredible amount of debt. 
The church had grown on foundational principles that actually weren't biblical or the purpose of the church. They were good things. I'm not saying they were bad. They were good things. But as we looked at it, we saw that the foundation of what this church was built on was you had the appearance of success. You were just, they were just up to debt to their eyeballs and unable to pay it. But they looked good. They looked successful. And guess what? Everybody said, you're successful. And so there was a run for a while that made them look really good. The people, the congregation didn't know that the church was $20 million in debt. But man, the light show was great. And as Cheryl and I, I'll never forget. I hadn't planned on sharing this at all, so um, forgive me if I stumble through some of this. But I remember Cheryl and I, after we were aware of everything, one, we were burdened deeply in our hearts because we were thinking of the congregation like, huh, I don't think they're going to be happy, especially since they sold seats so they wouldn't be in debt 20 years ago. And I remember standing in our kitchen knowing the road ahead of us is, uh, is going to be tough. Because, because we couldn't tolerate leading a church that doesn't have the purposes of the one who, who gave his blood for it. We couldn't, we couldn't do that. And so we stood in our kitchen and we said, well, should we run? And everything in us said, absolutely, get the heck, say no and run. But the Lord said, I want you to stay. And so we have seen the underbelly of a church that looks good, of a church that does good things, but a church that wasn't founded to what Jesus is speaking about in Revelation chapter 2. And I will say you th t tell you this, that when you come to the place that that you don't care what man thinks anymore. And all you care is about what your Savior thinks about his church, his bride, his people. When you come to that place, you're willing to do whatever he tells you to do. And so just for the glory of God and glory of God only, on Christmas Eve we announced our church was debt free. Isn't that great? I, But that has nothing to do with Cheryl and I or my leadership or my board. It has everything to do with returning the church back into the nail-scarred hands of Christ. It's his church. I'll never forget when I started leading seven years ago. This is what I got about every time. Hey, what's your vision, Jason? What's your vision? What's your vision? Hey, what's the vision? What's your compelling vision? And what's the, what's the mission statement? And, what's the, and I remember, I, I'm thinking, I don't have one. What they were asking was this. Tell me what you want to do with Jesus' church. And finally I said, who gives a rip what I want to do with Jesus' church? It's not my church. 
I didn't shed my blood for the church. It's Jesus' church. So let's ask him what he wants to do with his church. Why? Because Christ is king, not pastor king. And so in the book of Revelation, Jesus is writing these churches who had drifted from their purpose. They had forgotten. They had gotten down the road. And Jesus is calling for a reformation. And so he writes, he writes these, these letters through the apostle John and and, and they're letters to particular churches that are dealing with particular relevant issues to that particular church. But each letter is not only for the congregation identified because each message that when you read it exhorts the reader who's us, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a warning. There's a critique. There's a call. There's an alignment and there's a purpose. So this is, so the Bible invites all the churches to read each other's mail, to get to read each other's, oh, wow, look at that church over there. And so it's, it like lays it bare. Jesus lays the church bare in Asia Minor and says, listen, you're my church. I Gave my blood for you. And you're doing stuff I didn't ask you to do. You're finding your identity in things that, I, that I'm nowhere to be found. I, I'm knocking on the door of my own house and I, that says, hey, Jesus is church and I, I, I can't get in. So he calls for reformation. And so I want to begin by reading out of Revelation chapter 2. Begins to the angel of the church in Ephesus. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And if you want to know what those mean, ask Brother David. <laughs> I know your deeds. Your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. This is the beginning of his call to reformation. It begins with a compliment. Let me just set the stage of the church in, in Ephesus. They, they would often meet in outdoor areas. They would meet house to house. Their model was much like the biblical model from the book of Acts, which makes sense. And they grew fast. And they were growing in influence in, in Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus itself was really significant. It was like New York or, or L.A. Or, or London of the day. But Ephesus had a problem. It was at the center of a fertility type of pagan religion. It was a, a religion that, that worshipped sexual reproduction. 
Worship sensual acts. That's what it was all about. It was all about the body and sexuality. And the culture, it's just a part of their daily life, would make sacrifices and pray and make offerings to Artemis, Diana, the, the, the god of fertility. And the women would go and, and make offerings so that they could be fertile. And they'd go and make offerings so that their crops would, would the seed would grow and their, their fields would prosper. Their livestock would reproduce. And it was, it was entrenched into the society. There was a, a, a perverse sexual statue at the center of, of the city. And the whole culture circled around it and bowed and worshipped. To this goddess of sex. And there was a temple to worship Artemis that was a, it was a brothel. Everything in the culture was turned to the worship of a demonic sex god. And they would even offer their own bodies as sacrifice and sexual acts as, as sacrifice. This was the setting of the church in Ephesus. You think you have it bad. You don't have it bad. It was lewd. It was perverse. It was way more than pronouns, let me tell you. And this is the setting of their church. And Jesus is proud of them in the midst of, of, of cultural pressure and overwhelming sexualization of society. They were being different. They stood out because they stood for the word of God and the truth of God. They resisted the pressure to pull back and give up and use pronouns. And they, they, they found something else to focus on and they focused on Jesus. So he compliments them. And, I, and, and this is important for us to understand when, when, when Jesus calls us. When he, when, he, when he calls us to reform, and even when we look at our own salvation, when he calls us to his own, we first are overwhelmed at his love, then we're overwhelmed by his conviction, and so he offers us, to us he offers, he shows us the problem and then gives us the solution, and the whole work of salvation is all to the glory of him anyway. But this is what's happening here. He's complimenting the church. And he says, listen, you remain faithful for the purpose of, of the church. Jesus said, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. He says, I know you've been working hard. I'm proud of you. You're a light in the workplace. You've, you've, kept, you've kept the purpose of the church. You haven't backed down. You're faithful to meet and you're faithful to gather and you're faithful to stay on course. You study my word and you're, you, you're faithful to be my witnesses. You've kept the main thing, the main thing, and you've, you've continued to be and to do good works and good deeds, and I'm proud of you. Second thing he says is you've, you've also, you've anchored your life to the word of God, to truth. He says, I know you cannot tolerate wicked people that have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. They have found them false. And so the difficulties in the church of, of uh, Ephesus, they're, a lot of the, the issues that was happening, the, the, the persecutions this didn't just come from the world. It came from bad doctrine and bad teaching from within. This was what was happening. These people were teaching compromise. The, the, 
Nicolaitans were teaching, listen, you need to be more, more open to people who are pagan. You need to be more open to people. You need to embrace their sexual perversion and just, just show them the love of God. Don't tell them that actually that's, that's wrong or a sin. Embrace their way. Don't be so rigid. Be, be less rigid. And by doing that, you'll lessen your persecution and you'll be able to have a greater effect for the gospel that way. But the leaders of the church in Ephesus said, I don't think so. And so Jesus said, I'm proud of you. Number three, he said this, if you haven't, you haven't allowed your emotions to derail you from your purpose. You have persevered, he says, and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So I'm, I'm setting the stage for us. They were facing some unique challenges because they refused to bow the knee to the goddess Diana. They refused to bow the knee to the images of, of the emperor. And because of that, they were slandered. They were boycotted. They were abused. They were objects of physical violence. They were socially ostracized, yet they endured. And Jesus said, I'm proud of you. And if you were to look at, now not all of our churches, If you were to look at many of our churches in America today, many of them would receive this exact compliment. Many of your ministries, or maybe even in your own personal life, this would be you. And so Jesus says to you and to the ministries, and he says, he says this, he says, I, I am so, I'm proud of you. You have, you persevered. When everyone else bowed, you stood, and I'm proud of you. Now I want to move, though, to the second part of Jesus' letter to the church. And after he compliments them, we then read and learn from the critique from Jesus. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, yet I hold this against you. I mean, I would have said, oh, man, that first part was great. And, oh, thank you, Jesus. And, oh, I, got, I just got goosebumps and all oh, the Holy Spirit. I, and then it's like, what, you hold what? What do you mean you hold against me? Remember, this is New Covenant. Remember, they were doing great things. But Jesus holds something against those who were under his covenant of grace? That can't be. Jesus, you must have misspoke. Because that's not my Jesus. He says this, you have forsaken the love you had at first. They hadn't lost their salvation. That, no, that, this is not about that. This is a reformation. He says, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Many scholars believe that the church in Ephesus, when you read this, you go, what's going on? I mean, that first half was, 
I don't, how can, how can we have a second half of this letter after Jesus, you just said the first half? I don't, how, maybe he should have put, there was another church in between there he's talking to. But many scholars believe what was happening and had happened in the church in Ephesus is they were living from and off of the success and growth and explosion and prestige of the past, living off of what they used to be spiritually, and they were, they were looking to the past as, as something to say, what? we're good, because look what God has done in the past. And their spiritual condition had become weakened. They'd become spiritually frail. This is like many of us today, which you hear probably in many churches, or maybe we even think it, including me. It's something like this. You know, I kind of like the way things used to be. And the church was looking, while, while God was doing something in their moment, in their day, in their time, this church was looking to the past. They were asking yesterday what God wanted to do today. And today they didn't really need God because they got all of his answers from what used to be. And so they were living from what was. They were living from old methods and systems and experiences and programs. And they found themselves in a Bad spiritual place, and Jesus says, I hold this against you. Same thing can happen to us. In a, in a reformation, in a time, this is a question we need to ask. Are we looking, are we striving for, a, for the, the ticking time that actually happened years ago to happen again today, but God's wanting to do something fresh and new today because he wants all the glory to go to him and not to what was. We can fall into that same trap. I can. We can all get comfortable. We can all just say, hey, listen, if it's not, it, hey, if it's not broken, don't, don't break it. But many times, Jesus is like, if it's not broken, I want you to smash it to pieces. Because I'm doing something. Because I, there's a world I want to reach. And God never does anything alone. He saved and bought the church with his blood to reach the world through us. We're it. We're it. And so Jesus says, your love for me isn't what it used to be. It's this critique. Now, it's a loving critique. Because if Jesus disciplines those he loves. Yes, you're doing good, good in these things, and they're good stuff. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Oh. I'll just speak to you from... My journey. You know, after you, 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 you serve God 
and you do everything you can and <clears throat> you make difficult decisions and feels like the mobs got, got you in a corner because you changed something that they were emotionally attached to in the past. And so you just keep doing it because you know it's right. And then if you're like me, one morning you wake up and the first thing you think of is, I got to do. And then you go, he used to wake up and say, Good morning, Jesus. I've drifted from my first love and replaced it with the work at first light. Reformation can never happen until we come back to why we do what we do. It's because we love you, God. It was love that held Jesus on the cross. It was love that as the martyrs burned and screamed, they would not recant. It was love that kept them in the fire. Their love for Jesus. He says, you've, you've forsaken the love that you had. It's the first step of reformation to kick the tires on your love. Where is it? Where's that, where's that first sense of enthusiasm and excitement for your Christian life to Walk with Jesus, to meet him, to find him in the word. For these Christians, as Jesus looked into their hearts, so you look good, but you're shallow on the inside. You're not what you used to be. They were going through the motions, and because there was an element of success, it was easy to make it look like God's with them, and their love is full and on fire. But as, you, as Jesus could see, only what Jesus can see, they were consumed with creating something from another love, from another source, something outside of Jesus. What do you want? Man, when's the last time you asked Jesus, what do you want? When's, when's the last time you looked at your life, your, your vocation, your family, your, your resources, your ministry, your, your building, and said, hey, <laughs> Jesus, this is yours anyway. What, what do you want? What do you want? And then, when you ask the question, don't answer it for him. 
Jesus, what do you want? And then you go, let's look at what ministry, the hour of great power and miracle happenings. And what are they? Ooh, that's what you want, Jesus. Jesus is like, I don't know. What? what, what didn't you just ask me? Yeah, but we don't have time. We don't have time. We got, we got to get after it. No, we just have to be obedient to our Savior. So he said, you're just going through the motions. And what, what happens often that those who are just going through the motions of the Christian life are often obsessed with the motions of the Christian life. They're obsessed with it. It becomes their identity. It becomes everything they do. It becomes, it's all they are. It becomes, it's a follower on, on, on this, this social post. It's a, it's a, Oh, I got this mention at this place. It's a, oh, I got, a, I got a seat that's in honor. Or, oh, I got to teach this at church. Or, oh, I got the. It, it's the motions. Now, none of that is wrong. If our motivation is, Jesus, I love you. I do this because I love you. And those whose love has grown cold most often. Confuse methods with the message. They have principles and they've lost touch with the prince. They know the Bible but are not demonstrating the spirit of the author. And there's, these are symptoms of drifting. And it's interesting that many Christians think, and I do at times as well, that the only symptom of a love that's grown cold is sinning. But according to Jesus, you can be active, enduring, busy, a preacher of the word, a church. You can have programs and prayer meetings. You can do all the right things. And Jesus says, I hold this against you. And your love can be cold. I've been there. And you probably have too. And Reformation is about coming back. Coming back to the simplicity of Jesus, I just give you my life. I'm grateful for what you've done. It's about coming back to the place at the altar where you used to shed tears of just gratitude and thankfulness that Jesus would say, sorry, but like you. But now it's about what you want. And you used to say, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go whatever you want. But now it's, Lord, this is the list. I need you to get done today. They were doing the right things. We should do the right things. But they had lost sight of the one they were doing it for. They'd lost that intimacy. And so, why did Jesus point this out to them? Why, why, would, he, why would he 
critique us today? I'll tell you why. Because he hasn't lost his passion and his love for them nor for us. Yes, he wants your obedience, but he wants your affection. I'll say it this way, he misses you. He doesn't want you living from the close relationship and call of God that you once had. He wants you walking with it right now. That assurance of Jesus, you're with me. That's all that matters. He wants you living from an active, close relationship with him. It's the first step of reformation. We'll move to the challenge for reformation. Jesus says this, Remember where you were. He says, consider how far you've fallen. So part of reformation is you you take inventory. He says, consider. In other words, hey, hey, take a look. look. Look at where you were in your love for me. Take a look. Take inventory. Evaluate where you are now compared to where you were When your love was on fire for him, when you were filled with passion for him, when, when your accomplishments actually meant nothing, the greatest accomplishment in your life was that Jesus called you and you just received what he had said over your life, that you were holy, that you were righteous, that you were saved, and he had a purpose and a calling for your life. And And this is the call of Jesus back to us. When we weren't obsessed with Christian catchphrases and social followers, hey, remember those days? Remember? Remember those days when you'd post something online about Jesus and then you kind of went back to see how many liked it and how many watched it and how many shared it and how many. Why'd you post that? Guilty. True reformation is fueled by great humility. It says, Lord, it doesn't matter. You're all that matters. This is not an invitation from Jesus to perform or to work harder or to, all right, you better get in the strategy closet. No, no. Just go meet with Jesus in the prayer closet. Number two of the challenge of reformation is repent of your sin. So when you look at their life, you go, man, 
They were doing everything. A successful individual congregation was killing it. The church was killing it. And Jesus says, repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, change the way you think about this relationship and this calling. Change the way, repent and change the way you think. You're seeing it wrong. You've drifted in the midst of labor and hard work and fundraising and, and raising a family and, and going to work and being a light and all of that. You've, you, you've drifted and, and naturally you, you would because we're human. But he just says, hey, repent that you've put your significance and your trust and your hope in something that isn't me. It says, just acknowledge it, repent, ask him to forgive you. I say, Lord, help me to think differently. Lord, help me to cultivate my love for you. And here's, here's the incredible thing about the grace of God. He doesn't say, hey, repent and change. Listen, you can't do anything on your own power or your own source or your own conviction. You don't have any. It's the spirit of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you that, that gives you the ability to overcome. It gives you the ability to think straight. That gives you, it's called the grace of God. So when you come to these places and you go, oh, I can't. Oh, my gosh, I've drifted. Say, what? Hey, praise God. We're aware of it. Now we go, by the grace of God, Lord, can you just help me? Can you just restore to me my ways of thinking, my my heart's desire, the motivation of why I wake in the morning. Lord, can you help me? And then begin on a process and a journey of walking with God. The Reformation isn't overnight. It's a process of trusting the goodness of God to get us back, returning to the place we once were in our love for him. Daniel Atkin, the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary says, labor is no substitute for love. Purity is no substitute for passion. And deeds are no substitute for devotion. The third challenge for Reformation is return to where you once were with Jesus. Jesus says, repent. Then he says, do the things you did at first. So let's Think back. So we're, we're to take an inventory. And we're to see what, how far we've, we've, we've fallen. We're to look. And so doing isn't wrong. It's the why. So now he's, he's, bringing, he's bringing the church and us back. Do the things you did at first. Seek the heart of me first. Be in my presence first. Allow for my, my, my anointing to meet you right where you are. Not that you would leverage it for something else. That you would just, it would allow it to minister to you. Remember how you used to do that first. Remember those days when being with Jesus was so precious, it was 
They were sweet and your heart was overflowing with appreciation and your love for the nowness of God in your daily mundane life. Do you remember the days you couldn't believe that he would forgive you and he would call you and he would, he would give you a new chance? Remember the days when you were overwhelmed by your love for him? Everything reminded you of the goodness of Jesus. Jesus says, go back to those first things. Go back. It's like the story of the older couple. They were driving down the road, and the wife said, in a sad, longing voice, remember? And we used to sit next to each other, in the car. And the husband said, well, sweetheart, I'm not the one who's moved. Jesus just said, hey, why don't you slide on over and return. Do the first things first. Returning, do the first things. The first thing that Jesus said. That he called us to. The first thing that our personal lives or our ministries should be doing. The first things. Return to those. I wonder if we could just take a few moments. And just right where you are. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Where you need to return. Do you have anybody for keys at all? Thank you, dear. So just, just, just right where you are. It's so easy to get caught up in, in the doing, in life. And they're good things. Raising families are good things. Loving your husband and your wife is a good thing. Working hard to provide is a good thing. Being a light is a good thing. Doing ministry and excellence is a good thing. Persevering is a good thing. Standing strong against the cultural insanity is a good thing. But have you? Have you fallen from where you once were? Have you allowed the busyness of good things to distract you from the greatest thing? And that's Jesus. Before there can be reformation in our ministry, in our decisions, in our life, before there can be revival in the world, we've got to return.
to the first things. And what I know is the first things happened when I just met with God. When I came to the altar, when I, when I bowed my knee, when I had no agenda, no purpose, had no reputation, had nothing to prove, just wanted Jesus. Can we stand together? Just as a sign of faith, if, if that's you today, and you just want to just take a moment and come to the altar and return to the first things. And ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you, to reveal to you what are those first. If you can, just, let's just do that right now, just over the next few moments. Don't, don't let this moment slip by. Just come as a step of faith to respond to what God's doing in your life. Maybe you're weary, you're tired, you're, you're numb because you've been doing good things. And you just, you need a fresh lift and anointing. You need to connect to the source, to the vine. You need a drink from the well. You need to return to the first. It's not about salvation. It's not. It's just about realigning. First things. It's about saying, Lord, just, I'm sorry for looking to the wrong source. I'm sorry for looking for an identity in something that is nothing compared to you. Lord, just change the way we think. Lord, change the way I think. Change the way I see the call of God. Lord, by your grace, give me a fresh appreciation that you called me. And Lord, I lay my life at your altar. Not to pick it up again, but to leave it at your feet. Lord, there is no success that's defined by the world. The greatest success is, Lord, did I obey you? Did I follow you? And I come back to the first things, the first places.
So, Lord, in our weariness, give us grace, Lord, to feel again, to feel your touch, to hear your voice. In our worry and fear, Lord, where we have powered up with what we were portraying as courage, but really it was panic. Lord, as we were decreeing and declaring stuff when we were in the midst of struggle, God, we were doing it because we couldn't admit that we were actually scared. And so instead, our pride kept us from admitting it, even to you, Lord. Lord, we submit our lives to you tonight. And we take fresh first step of reformation. It's about our love for you. And we recommit and resubmit everything about our lives to you. I just sense tonight also there's just a, there's been just such a, a sense of striving maybe in some of your lives. Maybe because of your personality or your strength of your, who you are, you, you just you just buckled down. But you did it in your own strength. And it's been wearying and it was, it's been, it's affected your body. It's affected your health. The stress level, the cortisol levels are shooting through your, through the roof and the Lord just wants to reveal to you that actually wasn't faith. That was, you were doing that in the flesh. And so the Lord just calls you back to trust, to peace, to reliance, and to rest. So Lord, tonight, God, we just thank you for your word that has spoken to us. And we recognize tonight, Lord, that in a moment of your spirit, you can do more than a lifetime of us striving in our flesh. And so, Lord, we return tonight, fresh and new in our lives, to the first thing. And so, Lord, help us to return. Help us to trust you. Help us to remember that though these things seem impossible with our flesh, God, nothing's impossible for you. So we submit ourselves to you that anything is possible. You can, you can realign, you can move, you can heal, you can restore, you can put at ease our anger, you can breathe peace on our strained marriage. You can rescue our children. Because it's you anyway. And so, Lord, we return to the first.
And we put our trust in you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.